So we have two more lessons relating to the Gospel of John today. And next week will be a summary of the entire Gospel of John. Uh, and so uh, it'll be an opportunity for me to put together everything that we've studied uh, and be able to give you a, a reference point that you can use as you speak to other people about the Gospel of John. I believe that it is possibly one of the most important uh, studies in the entire Bible uh, in which you see someone who had a firsthand eyewitness knowledge of Jesus Christ uh, speak to us exactly what Jesus said and what he did. And so today we're going to focus on uh, John 21, verses 18 to 23. Uh, and then again, this is again another issue where, John, where Jesus will be speaking to Peter, and he will be speaking to John as well. Um, and so you can follow along uh, in your Bible, beginning with verse 18. And, and Jesus says, and you remember this is right after Jesus has prepared breakfast for them. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, and he's addressing Peter, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? And by the way, this is the apostle John. When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the brothers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? Poignant. Amazing, as Jesus drills down uh, in the lives of these two apostles. So, uh, as we focus in on this, the first thing we want to say is, Jesus is speaking to Peter because it relates to Peter's former boast. And let's take a look at that boast. That's in John 13, verse 37. Uh, and that's when, when uh, Peter said, I'm going to lay down my life for you. This is all before Jesus told him he would deny him three times, never mind that he would not be able to lay down his life for him. Verse 37, Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Uh, and so now Jesus is saying to Peter, you will lay down your life for me. You will, because as you get older, you will go places where you don't want to go, uh, meaning martyrdom. Uh, and, and so uh, it's very interesting as we, as we focus in on this set of verses. Now, first I want to focus uh, on verse 21. And this is where Peter sees John and says to Jesus, well, what about him? What's going to happen to him? I want to know how, what he's going to do. You're telling me that I'm, I'm probably going to be martyred for the, for the work, but what about him? Uh, and, and so it's interesting when you see this. Jesus said, you must follow me. This is one of the things that we have to learn very seriously and very early in our Christian walk. 
Our walk is related to us. We have to follow Jesus. We have to look at the cross. We can't concern ourselves with the gifts or talents of other people in the work of God. All right? And because what happens? If you get tied up and, and look at how other people are, are, are working for God or the gifts and the talents that those other people have for the work of God, what that will lead to is envy and jealousy. Envy and jealousy. And if you don't think that envy and jealousy are, are evidenced in the church, then you haven't been around a church too long. Okay? You haven't been around a church too long. Because I've spent my whole life in church. And I can tell you there are factors called spiritual envy and spiritual jealousy. Meaning what? Meaning we, we can get offline from God and start looking at what this person is doing and what this person is doing for God and then become resentful of what's happening there and lose our focus on Jesus. Jesus is saying to Peter, flat out, flat out, never mind, John. Look at me. Follow me. Serve me. Walk with me. And that's the nature of the walk. And I think God is speaking to us today about that. What's your walk? Don't worry about somebody else's walk. What's your walk? How are you serving God? What are you doing with the gifts and talents God has given you? Uh, maybe their form of service will be different than yours. Uh, and maybe their calling will be different than yours. But you have to get on your own. And in fact, some, sometimes God has determined that some people will live longer than others. Why? We don't know. We're not God. But if, for whatever reason, it all relates to the nature of the service that we have for the, for the Savior. All right? If God is saying that I want you to live a long life because I recognize that you're going to be used for the kingdom of God in this way, well, we bow to the, to the Lord. But if he says in some ways he has other plans for us, we bow to the will of God. But don't ever get tied up uh, here as Peter did. And, and, and we love Peter. I mean, he will give his life for Jesus. And by the way, he will, he will live from this time about another 30 years. How about that? He'll live another 30 years in which he'll preach powerfully and bring thousands of people to faith, all right, that God will use him. Uh, he became really the principal evangelist uh, in, the, in the early church. I mean, you look, you look at the roles that they, these three giants in the early church have. Peter, effectively the evangelist. Paul, the theologian. John, the restorer, okay? And why do I say John, the restorer? Remember that this gospel that you're reading was written about 55 years after Jesus died on the cross. How about that? 55 years later. Uh, why? Because John saw that the church was migrating off in a, in a bad way, that evil had perpetuated itself into the church. You say, John, come on. That early the church is being affected? Yes. Yes. 30, 40, 50 years after this, the church had begun to embrace some false theology. There were people in the church who had decided that Jesus wasn't divine, all right? There were people in the church who said Jesus didn't really suffer on the cross. I mean, there, there were so many errors, uh, and you read this, you don't necessarily get it from the Bible itself, but you get it from other readings when you go back and look at the disciples of John, Polycarp, Tertullian. You read their disciples, you read the works of these disciples, and it's very clear the church had gone had gone in a bad way. And so John is writing the apostle, he's writing these, this gospel to draw the church back to what Jesus said. That's what this is all about. What did Jesus say? So you keep your eye on me. You follow me. 
You don't be concerned about John, whether he's never going to die or he's going to stay here and be alive till the end. You focus on me and, and, and have your own particular calling. And so to me, there are several points being made by Jesus in, the verse, in this, these verses. The first being the difference between youth and old age. Now, this, as everything that Jesus says, it operates on several levels. First, there is the literal level. There is a significant difference between youth and old age. You understand that? I mean, I look, and this is a very youthful group I'm speaking to. <laughs> so you may not really get the issues about old age, but let me, let me see if I can embrace these thoughts. I mean, here's the thing. When you're young, you did whatever you wanted to do. Whatever came into your head that you thought was a good thing to do, you did it. All right? You, you weren't in any way conflicted uh, or cut back on. You, know, you have the authority and the power uh, as long as you had the money, you could go and do whatever you want. If you saw something that you wanted, you did it. If you wanted to travel someplace, you did it. Uh, whatever, whatever things came into your mind, you were unhindered. But as you got older, and as we get older, uh, that's not the way it is. You can't do whatever you want to do, all right? You can't go wherever you want to do. I mean, it's, it's interesting because some of us have gotten to the point where God has blessed us uh, with enough affluence that, that we could uh, go and have any dinner that we would possibly want, right? But guess what? Your doctor has told you you can't. You can't eat this. You can't eat that. And so now, even though you may, may have the ability to do it, you have been so restricted because of the age issues that you have uh, and the fact that your body uh, is speaking back to you that you can't do it. That's part of the issue of old age. And so, well, that's one of the things we understand. But as Christians, here's the thing. We glorify God in our age. So when we are younger, if we are with Jesus Christ, everything that we do in our youth is dedicated towards Christ. In our strength, we walk with Christ. Uh, in our passion, we walk with Christ. And as we get older, it's a different kind of a walk, all right? Because now we're suffering some, some of the vicissitudes of life, some of the disappointments in life, uh, and a lot of that relates to health. And so here's the thing. God is glorified by the way you walk in your older age. And I can tell you this. I've said it before, but I'll say it again, and that is this. I have never been spoken to or lifted up more uh, than I have been when I visit our people who are dying in hospitals and I go into their rooms and the light of Jesus Christ is emanating from that room. There's no way to describe it. Christians who die with Jesus are glorifying God. I'll repeat that. Christians who are dying with the Lord are glorifying the God. You walk down those halls, and in the rooms in which you see people who have given their hearts to Christ, and even though their bodies are failing and they're dying, they are filled with the joy because they know that Jesus has been with them their whole life. Okay, he's been with them their whole life. He's not going to abandon them now, and they know where they're headed. They know where they're headed. They don't have any concern because they know they're going to be with Jesus. They're going to be with their family. And that is a glorifying way to glorify God. <clears throat> and so this becomes important. Uh, and so we see this. And so as we get older, we're no longer self-reliant. We're no longer self-reliant. And some of that self-reliance that we had as a youth uh, are weaknesses, uh, and some of it relates to some foolishness that we had. And so we needed to be disciplined when we were younger. <coughs> Excuse me. We needed to be disciplined. But we don't forget the gifts of youth also. 
we don't forget the gifts of youth. Um, and so the other side of this issue <coughs> is that in, in old age, the Lord wishes to bring us out in terms of things that are done against our own inclination. How's that? Maybe I don't want this. Maybe I don't want to have to suffer this. Maybe I don't want to have to go through this issue. And yet the Lord knows you need to. You need to grow. You need to be an inspiration. You need to preach to people through your own suffering. Uh, and God does this. And so this is what Peter is being told by Jesus. This is not something that he would have chosen for himself any more than any one of you would choose sickness. You wouldn't choose sickness, uh, but yet within the will of God, we, we bow and we understand this. Um, and so as we study this passage, one of the things that you see here is Jesus is saying to Peter, look, when you were a young guy, uh, and at this point where Peter is speaking now, he's a guy in his 30s, when you were a young man, you went and did what you wanted to do. You were self-reliant. You thought you were never going to fall. You thought you had all the answers. Well, guess what? You don't have all the answers. All right? <clears throat> Can we turn off our phones, please? I'd appreciate that. Uh, and, so, uh, uh, and so now uh, in this study, you see that, that John is referring to the prophecy that, that, that uh, concerned Peter about the way he would glorify Christ in his death. And if you look at verse 19, you'll see that. Jesus said this, for, well, we'll look at verse 18. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Lead you do where you do not want to go. Meaning what? Lead you to the cross. You're not going to want to go to the cross. But someone will lead you to the cross. Jesus said this, <clears throat> to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to me, to him, follow me. Now, Peter, uh, and this is important because when that was said, John is writing this uh, to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. John does not say this about the dreams of Peter youth, Peter's youth, but about his suffering. For it, not only, it is not only by acting, but by chiefly suffering that the saints glorify God. How do we glorify God? Often, we glorify God by our suffering. Our suffering in our downtimes, when, 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 when we're going through uh, trials and persecutions. We are glorifying God when even as we are going through these difficult, dark days, and not every single one of you is going through these kind of issues. If not now, you will be. But when you bow and submit to the will of God and say, Father, whatever you bring to my life, I glorify you. That's what glorifies God. You're not resentful. You're not angry. You don't sit there and say, God, why me? Why me? Why not the guy down the street? He never, look at him, he's a bum, he never goes to church and look at, look at him, he's as healthy as a horse. But me, God, but yet you have to say, Lord, your will for my life. Maybe there's some reason I'm going through this, that I'm suffering these things. Maybe there's some reason why I have these issues in my family, Lord. And, and, and we have to bow to God. Uh, and, and so, you know, the thing is, is that you look at the saints and you see how much they've suffered. Uh, you see that in Peter. And, and who suffered more than Paul? 
who suffered more than Paul. When God spoke uh, about Paul to Ananias right after uh, Jesus appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus, he said to Ananias, and turn there, because I think it's important to see that. Turn to Acts chapter 9, verse 16. But the, uh, verse 15, but the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man, that's Paul, is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. All right. Now, how many of us, if God had just said to us, I'm going to use you, you are going to be great. You're in fact, you're going to write 50% of the New Testament. But you are going to suffer a lot. You're going to go through bad times. You're going to get a lot of pain. Oh, wait a minute. Jesus. I'm not sure I can sign up for this. You understand? I'm not sure I could sign up for it. Why? Because in our humanity, we look at the pain and the suffering, and we equate that to everything when it's all about ourselves and our narcissistic life. All we think about is this 80 or 90 or 100 years that we're here which is over in a twinkle of an eye, instead of looking at eternity. If God is calling you and using you to glorify his name in an even greater way, even if you're going to suffer, and maybe because you're going to suffer, then battle his will. Battle his will. And, and so you see this here. It was in that very suffering that Paul glorified God. Um, and, and you see that in so many ways. Uh, take a look at Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. Again, this is Paul now speaking about the suffering aspect of walking with Christ. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned that you had no opportunity to show you. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. How about that? I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in, in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything who, who gives me strength. I can do everything who gives me strength. Now, by the way, You'll watch various athletic endeavors, and you'll see a, a, a competitor put this on his helmet or have it on his face. Wrong. You understand? Jesus isn't with you so you can win an athletic event. Jesus isn't with you so you can win the Super Bowl or win the World Series. But he's with you so that in the pain and suffering of your life, in the everyday travails of your life, you will have happiness and contentment in every way. Let me share a testimony with you. This week, I went for my annual physical to my doctor, uh, and my doctor said to me, you know, John, he says, uh, one thing that I'm amazed at is whenever you come in here, you're happy. You're always happy. He says, I have a lot of wealthy people that I have coming in here, and he said, probably one-third of them are depressed. They're unhappy. All right? They're sad. What is it? What is it in your life that allows you to live like that? I said, it's very simple. It's Jesus. I have Jesus in my heart. I have Jesus in my life. Wherever I am, wherever I go, I know he's with me. 
How can I not be happy? How can I not be happy? I'm trying to get him to come to church. <laughs> I've been working on this for a few years. We got more work to do. But the point is, look, even people that are in the world notice this. Don't you understand? They notice that about you. So when you're hurting, when you're suffering, when, when you're going through trials, when things aren't working out for you, yet in your heart you have the peace of God. Look, I'm not saying you walk around as if you were lobotomized. Of course not. All right, that's not what it's about. It's that we walk, we walk in seriousness with Jesus, but imbued with the Holy Spirit. Imbued with the Holy Spirit. That even as we go through these things, we know where we're headed. We're headed to the cross. We're headed to heaven. You have the ticket. That's where you're going. How can you not be happy? All right? How can you not have that light in your, in your life? And so you see how the world notices it and sees it. And so we need the experiences of all ages in order to advance in the kingdom of God. Yes, there's times when we're young and we're advancing the kingdom of God, but in our old age, even more so as we suffer. Uh, and you see this. Uh, and, and so one of the things that, that you see here is Jesus said, when you get older, you will hold out your hand. You will hold out your hand. Well, they understood this. John understood that this was Jesus prophesying and holding out your hand, that he would be crucified, meaning you will hold out your hand to carry the cross. And John understood this. Remember now, he's writing this about 50 years later, knowing that Peter had been crucified somewhere in the period of time in the 60s. Um, and so uh, it might have been about 30 years after, after Jesus spoke to him, but it would be another 25 years or so that John would write the gospel. And so he was aware of this. So he saw what he knew what Peter would go through. And he was aware of it. Uh, and so uh, you see, the other thing that I notice in this passage is the difference in temperaments between Peter and John. And one of the things that I've learned uh, in my walk with Christ is that God uses our differing temperaments. He uses our temperaments. I was born type A. I will die type A. The struggle in my life has always been patience, patience. I have to pray for it. I have to ask God to give it to me. Uh, and I'm a lot better now than I was 25 or 30 years ago. Uh, you know, I used to come home from work, uh, and I would, I would park the car in the garage. I'd walk into the kitchen. I'd sit down at the kitchen table, and Linda would say to me, take off your, your, your suit before we, I can't take my suit off. I can't take, my nerves are shot. My nerves are shot. I can't even do this. So I just sit at the table with my suit on. And then, you know, my kid being a kid, he'd maybe be 9, 10, he would take a spoon or something and he, he would drop it in a, in, a, in a bowl. And I would go like this. My nerves would go. And they would make, they, he'd make fun of me. But you understand, this is what happens. You live like a type A personality. Your nerves are, are at, at wit's end all day long. You're in the middle of one big fight after the other. Uh, and that's how God, but God took that temperament and God used it to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. You understand? All right. He took the temperament and he used it to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. I didn't know that, that he would do that. He doesn't change your character. He, he sands you down somewhat, but the same character is there. Now you see it with Peter. What about him? After all you've gone through, after all you've gone through. You've denied me three times. I've just brought you back into the fellowship of Christians. I've indicated you'll be used 
to advance the kingdom. And now what do you do? What about him? Why? Because that was the nature of his character. You understand? That was the nature. He was, he was basically always tempestuous. That's it. Everything he did, he cut off the ear of the high servant, right? Even when it was on the, the Sea of Galilee, who jumps out of the boat? Peter jumps out of the boat and walks. Why? Because it was part of his character, okay? Um, and, and so you see this. Um, and so he is a consistent activist. Um, John, on the other hand, uh, is almost the exact opposite. He's never one to speak. You almost never see John speaking out. Um, he's called the contemplative, the contemplative. Uh, and so John remained in the boat. John is the thinker. Yet, yet Jesus had a place for both John and Peter. All right? So if you're sitting here now and you're saying to yourself, oh, I don't have the, the characteristics of John Garippa, uh, good for you. That's a blessing. <laughs> That's a blessing that you don't have the characteristics of John Garippa. Okay? Thank God that you don't have that. But here's the thing. God is going to use your own temperament and characteristic to advance the kingdom of God when you submit. Can I get an amen on that? That's an important lesson here. As you see these two disciples, both being used by, by Jesus. And so what is the point of it? This leads to a, a third area of difference amongst us as Christians, and that is in our spiritual gifts. All right? In our spiritual gifts, we all have different gifts. Within the body of the church, within the body of Christ, all of the gifts are in evidence, but not one person has all the gifts. And so within that call, God has given some gifts to you, some gifts to you, some gifts to me. But we have to recognize and submit ourselves to the gifts that God has given us. Uh, it's a very personal aspect of understanding how God works, uh, that God does this in a distinctive calling and separate way. It is never merely general. He doesn't just give you general gifts. He gives you specific gifts. It might be a gift to teach. It might be a gift to preach. It might be a gift of helps. Uh, it might be a gift of, of giving or of affluence. Every single gift of patience, of kindness, all right? Long-suffering, all these gifts. He may have given you a gift that, that, that you know that there's a need, and when there's a need, you come out. I'm reminded of, of Fran LaPlata that one of the gifts that she had was that every time she knew that we needed something in church, there was some call that we needed a meal, she would come with something, and it was home-cooked. You understand? It was home-cooked. She did it with the love of Jesus in her heart. Oh, Father, that's the kind of Christian I want to be. That's what God is calling each and every one of you to do, uh, and so to advance the ministry in every single uh, way. So we see this in the evidence of the call in the lives of Peter, John, uh, and, and Paul. Peter was called as an evangelist. You know what happened on the day of Pentecost. You saw what happened on that day. Peter goes outside and says to the crowd, and, and I was in that room uh, just now in Israel a couple weeks ago, the upper room. I was there in that upper room. I can tell you that the streets of Jerusalem were crowded they were narrow, and so they, they say they, that there were probably a million people, a million people in Jerusalem for that feast. How about that? And they're standing on the street, and they look up into the upper room, <clears throat> and the upper room at that point is maybe 20 feet up. And you know they didn't have glass in the windows, all right? So the windows are open, and there they hear uh, the tongues of fire descending on the church, and they hear in their own tongue, 
people from all over the world, all over the world in Jerusalem, hear the gospel of Jesus Christ being preached in their own tongue. Wow, are you kidding me? Now, Peter then leaves the upper room, goes down, down to the street and preaches. And as a result of that preaching, and one of the great pre sermons of all time that Peter talks about the, the Old Testament and all this was prophesied because they're all Jews. They're all Jews. The early church was all Jewish. And so he goes down there and he preaches about what this meant and how you people, you crucified this Jesus uh, uh, who was the son of God. 2,000 people came to faith on that day. How about that? Day one of the church age. Day one, 2,000 people. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm now writing on Romans uh, because God is leading me that I will spend some time in the fall as a new subject on the book of Romans. And one of the things that I've learned uh, is that the, the church in Rome was most likely started by people from Pentecost who went back to Rome and started the church. There's no evidence of any specific apostle going to Rome and starting the church. Paul didn't do it. Peter didn't do it. We don't have any, have any evidence of that. All right, But what we see is there was a church there. Well, how did the church start? The church started through the Holy Spirit, that there were people there at Pentecost that heard it. They were from Rome. They got back and walked back to Rome, and what happens? God planted a church. You understand how God works? Each and every one of you has a responsibility to Jesus Christ. Each and every one of you is an evangelist in your own right. Each and every one of you has giftedness in your own right. We submit to God. We bow to God. And you see how the, how the kingdom of God is advanced in every possible way. He wants you to be committed to him, committed to him in every possible way. Look, this is heavy on my heart, all right? This is heavy on my heart. God is calling you to have Jesus in your heart, not head knowledge, but heart knowledge, committed to him. Have him imbued in every aspect of your life, filling you with the Holy Spirit so that the fruit of the Spirit is evidenced in your life. How are people going to know that we're different? <clears throat> How are they going to know? Why are they going to say there's something different about us? It's only through the Holy Spirit and the fruits of the Spirit that we see, we see the, the difference. And by the way, I said 2,000 people called to Christ. It was 3,000. All right? Forgive me for that error. Let's make that correction. 3,000 people. Uh, uh, on that day. So what is it all about? The first thing, it shows that God gave Peter the gift of evangelism. He gave the gift of activism. He gave them the gift to initiate things. What's the difference? Paul's gift was to construct, to build the theology of Jesus Christ, to let us know how the theology works together, how it all forms together. He did that. He did that. How did he do it? Where'd he go to seminary? I'd like to see his bio. What's, 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 I knew he was a good Jew. He was studied under Gamaliel. But where, where did he go to the Christian university? What about that? How did he get that? Well, uh, how did he get it? He got it very simply. He went out in the Saudi Arabian desert after the Damascus Road experience. Why? Because they wanted to kill him. You understand? So he goes out to the Saudi Arabian desert, and don't kid yourself, that's exactly what, what God intended to draw him away. He goes out in the Saudi Arabian desert, and then one-on-one -on -one with Jesus Christ, the theology of Jesus Christ is poured into him. Jesus gave him everything that he spoke about. When you read the works of the New Testament, all the epistles, 
Romans, all these great works of theology, he got it directly from Jesus Christ. He was called to be, an event, to, be, to be that great constructor of the theology. And then, what about John? What about John? These three different men with so many, such different personalities, such different training. Uh, and by the way, Paul was one of the more educated people in the New World at that time. One of the more educated people. He, he, he uh, was a graduate of a, a very famous secular university in, in Tarsus. And, and what does this mean also? And I would say this is important too. That sometimes we Christians despise secular education. All right? Let me say this. Don't despise secular education. All right? God has his opportunities to educate us in very different venues. All right? I remember when, when, my, son, when, we, when my son decided he would want to go to, to Wake Forest University and... and Someone in ministry said to, to us, oh, that's a mistake. You can't send that kid to, to Wake Forest University. That's, that's a bad place to go. He'll fall away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Really? Really? Well, what, what happened instead? He went to that university. He wound up getting a dual degree in religion and education. He met Gary Chapman from the Love Letters. He went to Gary Chapman's church. Gary Chapman had an everlasting impact on him. Uh, and you know the rest of the story. The rest of the story is today he's leading that church for the unchurched in Fort Lauderdale. All right? What does it mean? It means you don't necessarily have to go to a Christian school. All right? I myself never went to a Christian school, either undergraduate or law school. It's God takes you where you are with the gifts that you have, and he will call you to what your call is in life. All right? So don't despair if you say, oh, I don't know enough about theology. He'll give you the theology you need the same way he gave it to Paul. You understand? He'll give it to you the same way he gave it to Paul. And so you see this. You see Peter, the evangelist. You see uh, Paul, the constructor of theology, the great theologian. And then you see John, who is recognizing that the gospel is being torn about, even in its first century. And God calls him to put it all together, to restore the church, to call the church to Christ. And so here's the thing. When we follow Christ, he will use us as he determines. Bow in submission before him. Bow before God. Ask him to use you. Ask him to anoint you with the talents that he, he has. Ask him to illuminate you. Ask him to give you the call for your life. Ask him to fill you with the fruit of the Spirit so that where you go, you will, it will leave a taste and an aroma of Jesus Christ. Wherever you go, that's what you want to be. You want to leave here today recognizing that even as we, we, can't, we see the example of Peter, don't worry about John, worry about me, follow me. You will suffer many things, but in our suffering, we're going to glorify God. We're going to glorify him in every way. Amen? Amen. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, <clears throat> I thank you, Father, for this message, for the words that you've given us. Lord, I ask you to let it grow in our hearts. Let it resonate with us uh, this week, Father, in every possible way. We thank you for the lessons that you give us, even through the great apostles, as we see their lives impacting us, Father. I ask you that you touch our people. Let the lesson be a part of their lives. Protect them this week and bring them back safely next week to continue the study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.